an amazing time in, in worship. And the intensity of God is going to get stronger as we go through the weeks and months. So encounter isn't a, a time which started and just stopped. Yeah. Uh, if I was to ask you, well, the last but one encounter, what was it about? You probably, some of us would probably say, I know what it was about. Others may say, yeah, I think I have an indication. And some may say, well, I don't. But this encounter, I think, is going to be a significant time when God begins to make an impact and a difference in our church and as a people of God. So let's not limit what God can do through the worship, through the word, and through our individual lives. And the focus on the glory of God is, is a very, very important topic. Because when you go around the world, you'll see the immense presence of God in, in a way that is so significant. You'll see men and women and children and youth just laying prostrate before God. Not for 40 minutes, not for four hours, but the whole day. So there is something that we're missing out on in our nation here, which is going to increase with intensity. And if the, um, the, the PA team or the comms team just put on a, 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 a sentence just before this, which talks about the uh, intensity of God, just before this uh, slide, uh, just before this one, Right. Uh, def definition of the glory of God. It's God's presence made manifest with intensity. So what does that mean? That means God can take control of the space that we're in here. So if he takes control, then he can do whatever he wants to do. Agree? But that starts with each one of us. God isn't somewhere out there just but he's actually in here. And that Holy Spirit that is in here is what causes the change to happen from within. And so when we first had encounter, we said, and I'm going to repeat it again because I think it's a profound word, and, and um, Simone uh, gave that word this morning. Lo, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. So the winter has passed. That means there are times that are coming that are going to be very different times from what we've experienced historically in this nation and in our own church. But we have to be ready. Because if I was to go back in history, and I will do some of that today uh, in the time that I have, but if I take you to a profound time, pardon? <laughs> yeah, take my watch off. Is that significant, taking my watch off? Might be here all day. And if, if I go back in history, and the last time when we took our eyes off God was in 670 AD. 660, 670 AD was a significant time. It's the time when we took our eyes of the Spirit of God. And it was the rise of Islam. And you can track it through history. That other religions began to rise up. 
because we'd lost track of who God is in the supernatural and knowing who he is in the supernatural. And other religions began to take over and take control. And you can certainly see in this nation that there's a, a rise in other religions. There's a rise in materialism. Or there is a distraction and a move away from God where we're focusing back on ourselves. We're taking control of who we desire to be. A bit like in the Old Testament in the early days. But what God is saying is, look, this is the time when there is a new beginning. There's a new thing that's going to happen. And we need to be ready. We need to be ready. Each one of us. Because the calling and the anointing that's on our lives has to be fulfilled. Otherwise, you and I will not have a fulfilled life. Otherwise, we'll go to the grave and go into glory knowing that I look back and I see that I haven't fulfilled what God has asked me to do, or has called me to do. So it's important that we are ready. And it's for such a time as this. The Old Testament prophets aren't here anymore, folks. Abraham isn't here. He's enjoying himself up there. <laughs> Moses is enjoying himself up there. David, Solomon, Esther, Ruth. And you can name many, many more. But where are they? They're in glory. So who's the task being left to for such a time as this? It's for us in our church, in our, in our existence, in our youth, in our strength, and in our maturity that we become strong in the word of the Lord, but also that we're filled with the Holy Spirit. So when the word and the Spirit come together, what happens? There's an explosion that takes place, or there's, a, there's a, an event that has to happen. So turn with me to Genesis, and I'm going to go through some points with you that will set the scene so that when we go into next week, we'll move into the New Testament, and there'll be just a time when we can spend, in, as we did today, in worship. But if we go to Genesis, and I want to just pick up uh, a few points here, uh, you know the story in Genesis very well, but in Genesis 1, uh, and it's also depicted in John, but in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, in Genesis 1. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And I'm not going to go through all the creation, but I'm picking up on what God said. So when God speaks something and says something, then there's an action that takes place and something has to happen. Yeah. Has to happen. Yeah. It can't be void. It can't be something that uh, remains dormant, but something has to happen. And in verse 3 it says, Then God said, and I want to just quickly roll through this. Verse 4, And God saw. So God said and God saw. Verse 5, God called. So God said, God saw, and God called. And then verse 6, God said. Verse 7, thus God made the firmament. Verse 8, and God called the firmament. Verse 9, God said. Verse 10, and God called the dry land, the earth. And so it goes on, verse 14, then God said, going over the page in my Bible, verse 16, then God made. Verse 17, God set in place. Verse 20, then God said. Verse 21, so God created. Verse 22, God blessed. 
Verse 24, then God said. Verse 25, and God made. Verse 26, God said. Verse 27, so God created. And verse 29, so God said. In each one of those actions, sorry, in each one of those words that God spoke, there was an action that created something, that caused something to happen. Something profound and immense, the creation of the earth and everything in it. But then there was one act that took place in Genesis 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable of its fruit, and, and she ate, she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And we know the story, what happened. From the action of eating that fruit, not only did it consume the whole body, and caused the tree of knowledge of good and evil to be opened up here in the mindset. But what it also caused was the whole of creation to be impacted by it. Everything on the earth was impacted by it. The whole of creation was impacted by that one act. By that one act. And as a result of that one act, Adam and Eve... Minds were open, and they knew knowledge of all good and all evil. So suddenly, from that connectivity with God, in that place where they were in oneness, in the Garden of Eden, where there was fruitfulness, there was anointing, there was the, the presence of God coming down from heaven on earth, in a place where Eden was the closest thing to heaven on earth, this act took place. And it caused the separation to happen for us to lose that connectivity and that glory, that presence of God in a unique way. It caused the separation to happen. And ever since then, in the Old Testament, what God has been trying to do is to say, people, I just want to be close to you. I just want to spend time with my people. I want to have that relationship where I can be in your presence. That you can experience times of worship that are so amazing that I can be prostrate before the Lord. Where I can raise my hands and, you know, not fear of the person to the left or to the right of me. Where I can be free with my people so they can rejoice and you know, love me and honor me and be confident in me. So that very act separated, but all that God has wanted to do ever since is to be close. And sometimes what happens is, it's not God that's at fault. God's always there. He's always there, present. And he never ever moves away. We try and move away, he moves closer. We take a further step away from him, he'll still move closer. He'll never turn his back on us. It's what we do, is we take the action of saying, moving away from God. And turning away from him. And I want to just look at one character in the, in the Old Testament of, of Moses. Where so much of Egypt was inside that man. From a very, very young age. That he, he lived in the courts of the Pharaoh. He could have anything and everything that he wanted. He was one of the wealthiest people at that time on the earth. The pharaoh was wealthy. 
He had everything. But there was still something that was significant that was missing in his own life. He saw his own people being inflicted, being enslaved, which led him to cause an act of killing somebody. But God was still able to use him. And God was still able to take him to the place where he would meet with him in the glory. So in Exodus, let's go to Exodus. And I want to pick up the story in chapter 3. But we know that he was born and he was in the, the, uh, the, the, the Pharaoh's palace. And we know that he had a, an immense wealthy lifestyle. And then he causes in chapter 2 the, uh, the killing to take place. Uh, and even his own people turned against him. And then he's taken from there and he's away for 40 years or so. And then he has the experience of the burning bush. But in all this time, what God is doing with this man is building his character into him, taking out Moses, taking out Egypt in this man and saying, look, I want you to be the person that I want you to be so that I can then do what I want to do with you. So I can cause you to see the presence of me in a unique way, in a profound way. And we pick up the story of Moses in chapter 3, where in verse 11 it says, just after the experience of the burning bush, he said, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I that I should go? How often do we take that, uh, that word there and say to ourselves, well, I can't do it. Who am I? I may be inexperienced in giving the word. I may be not confident in them. He wasn't confident at that time. It may be the fact that, well, I can't do it because I'm looking at somebody else who's better than me. Because they're more eloquent than I am. Oh, they've been to Oxbridge. It's all knowledge up here. It's about the mindset. And what God is doing here is he's dealing with addressing Moses and his character. Taking the Egypt out of him so that he can put into him what he wants him to be. Removing his mindset. Causing the change to happen up here, but more importantly, the change to happen in the heart. And you and I know that as we meet with God and as we did this morning, and as we meet with God and we begin to speak in tongues, and we begin to worship and praise, what happens? Myself, my character begins to become less and less and less, and God becomes more and more and more. And as God becomes more and more and more, what happens? I take on the, the characteristics of who God is. That means my confidence becomes great. Too. <laughs> that means my, my rejoicing becomes more in tune with what God wants. That means that my, my very nature on my face changes. My very posture can change because of what God is beginning to do in me as an individual and yourselves uh, as people. So we are a people that are set aside, set apart, just like Moses was set apart. And we're in a place where this is a divine appointment for you and I, us. It's unique, this event today will never, ever happen again. 
So it's up to us to decide what we want to take away from it and then apply it into our own personal lives and into the lives of others who do not know the Lord. We are set apart. We are in a place of divine appointment, just like Moses and others were in a place of divine appointment. And when we get to that place where God wants us to be who he wants us to be, then we can do amazing, amazing things. Amazing things. Martin Otto's son said this, and it will always stick with me in my heart. He said this, I want to be a missionary. I want to go and reach other parts of the world, five, six years old. And you know, God will use that man, that young boy, into a man who will adventure and go within, just like the prophets of the Old Testament did, or just like you and I do now. Because there's a profound richness in that young boy to be able to, you know, just an excitement to say, I want to serve this God. He's not thinking with his mind. He's not, a, he's not an adult where the thought processes get in the way. He's a child saying, I am alive. Because the spirit is first and foremost, that's alive in him. That is the driver, not the mindset. So our spirit has to be the driver in everything that we do. Everything that we do. It can't be this, because that has to come under the feet of Jesus Christ. And in my culture, what happens is this. Uh, my parents' culture, I correct myself, is this. When, when, when you go to, to their home uh, and there's an elderly person there or anyone that is older than you, I'm supposed to bow and touch their feet. So I touch their feet and what they do is they place their hand on my head for, for blessing. Okay? Now, before Jesus Christ, we are supposed to be, and it can be in many different ways, praising, worshipping God openly. We can be prostrate before him just like this, where we are completely in surrender to who God is in our lives. And we can be rejoicing and dancing, and we can be praising, we can be crying. We can have all the facets or the responses that are needed because of who he is and who he's called to be in our lives. So the character, our character has to change. It can't remain the same if we want to get deeper with the Lord. And if we want to see more of his glory, we have to change. Because otherwise we won't be able to handle the intensity of, of what God sends. Yeah. Or we won't understand it. Because we'll be too locked up in here thinking what's going on around. Well, you know, why is that person jumping up and down? Not uncontrollably, by the way, but, you know, there is a sense of order with what God does. Uh, and, you know, why is that person lying prostrate on the floor? Or why is that person just, you know, holding their hands up or on their knees? Or why is that person shouting at the top of their voice, crying out to the Lord? To get to that place, we have to be ready. Because the intensity of God, the weight or the heaviness, the intensity is going to increase. But we have to be ready for that to happen. So we see Moses, he says, who am I? that you can call me. And in chapter 4, he goes on to say, uh, in just in verse 1, then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to, me, to, to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. Suppose. Who am I? Suppose. Words, weasel words we call them, don't we? Get out words. <laughs> you know, get out clauses. Pete knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> So, you know, making every excuse that is there that I won't do, you know, the very purpose and will of God. And then, of course, you know, we see the miracle that takes place there. 
is the rod, it turns into a serpent. And interestingly, what does Moses do? He doesn't, you don't pick up a snake from the tail, do you, really? Or a, a serpent, because it's, it's going to bite you. You're supposed to catch it from the, 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 the back of the net, so it can't bite. But God's teaching him a lesson there. He's not ready. He's not quite ready. His character hasn't been transformed and made. So he's picking it up from the tail, not understanding you know, the, what's happening there. But God is still working on him and showing him that he needs to be ready. So here, uh, there is the, the rod that turns into uh, the serpent or, or the snake, and then his hand becomes leprous, and it becomes healed again. And still, he go, then Moses, verse 10, he says, Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow to speech and slow of tongue. I am not eloquent. I wasn't eloquent when I first <laughs> arrived in uh, you know, this country as a young man, a young boy. Um, I could hardly speak the language. Uh, and I don't think I'm still as eloquent, but what God can do is he can transform that individual in the natural. I may not be eloquent, but God makes me eloquent. He gives me every power and authority that I need to deliver what he wants us to do. Yeah. And that's the key thing, is that God transforms and that part this mindset that we so get locked into that we can't do things, move from there into what the Spirit of God is inside of you and let God take control and let him do what he wants to do with each one of us. Yeah. That's the purpose of our calling. I'm not going to uh, live this, uh, uh, on this planet Earth and I'm not going to walk from day to day and not fulfill what God's plans and purposes are in my life. Because if I do that, it's, I may as well go into the world and do what the world is doing. I may as well go and earn the highest salaries. I may as well go and enjoy my life in other ways. But that's not what's set for us. We are set apart to do the work of the Lord. So eventually, with Moses, God has to get angry with him in verse 14. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, it is not, uh, is not Aaron, the Levite, your brother, I know that, he can speak well, and look, look, he is also coming out to meet you. So we see that God gives the tools that we need, whether it's my eloquent voice or whether it's not. It doesn't matter. What matters is that I'm connected with God and that I'm connected absolutely 100% with him so that he can utilize uh, in any way that he wishes to utilize me. So eventually Moses, verse 18 uh, returns to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go return to my br brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. Character being transformed. Character being made into what God wants him to be so that he can be used in the way God wants him to go. Okay. <clears throat> Let's go to Exodus 24. The tabernacle. An important verse. Exodus 24, 16. Now the glory of the Lord. So Moses has been transformed. He's been changed. His character has changed. God's getting to a place for the person he wants to be. Uh, so that he can use him in a, in a mighty and a different way. Verse 6, now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai. So chapter 24 of Exodus, verse 16, now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered 
six days. On the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire. Uh, if you just move the slide on uh, at the back uh, on the presentation and again. And some of the areas of the glory of the Lord is that it can be a consuming fire or a smoke or white, bright, glistening cloud, uh, weight and heaviness. So here we see the, the glory of the Lord rested on the mountain and it came down uh, over Moses. The sight of the glory of the Lord, verse 70, was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Wow. Can you imagine spending that long in the presence of the, uh, our God? Not 40 minutes like today. 40 days and 40 nights. Incredible. So then we go through to chapter 33 and verse 18. And he says, and he said, please show me your glory. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Uh, but he said to Moses, you cannot see my face. For no man shall see my face and live. So glory, mercy, and compassion passing over. Fire, a cloud, weight. Whichever way that God wants to portray himself, he portrays himself. And shows himself in different ways. So Moses has an immense characteristic change. He's able to experience the glory of God in a unique way. Either through being on the mountain or being uh, uh, God saying, I'll pass my goodness, mercy and compassion over to you. But also Moses is responsible for building the tabernacle. And the instructions of building the tabernacle came from who? They came from God in absolutely the preciseness of detail. And when that tabernacle was built, it was built precisely according to God's plan. And then when it had been built according to God's plan and everything put in place, what happened? The glory of the Lord then came down and rested in the tabernacle. And that's the amazing thing, is that it had to be made in perfection of how God wanted it, rather in the way that man wanted it or to be created by man. In the, in the way that God laid it out. And that then caused the glory to come down. So everything in its perfection was done from God above. And just very quickly, going over to verse 40, sorry, chapter 40, verse 34, it says, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, which had been planned and created by God, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go uh, onward in all their journey. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day and fire was over it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel. Incredible. 
It could be witnessed. It could be seen. And uh, there's a section when, uh, in the Bible where Moses' face is glowing you know, as he comes down. So you've got the brightness. You've got the glowing. You've got the weight. You've got the cloud. The presence of God operating in the way he chooses to. And what we do is we're obedient to what God wants and we respond to God and not the other way around. So as we go through, we see that in Solomon's temple, it's the same. That God is, uh, gives the instructions of building the temple and the temple is built and God's presence comes in. A more permanent home and a place for God to be. But each time what God is doing, all he wants to do is say to his people, look, I just want the Eden life back with you. I just want to be in a place where I have that relationship, complete connection back with you. So that I can enjoy your presence, you can enjoy my presence. So that together we can adventure. So that together we can be together. So that together we can just be in that harmony of unity, of connectivity. No disobedience, no idolatry, no sin. And what happens is this, is that we're no different today from that time in one sense. Even though we've got the Holy Spirit in us in those times, they didn't have it in them, thanks to Jesus Christ dying on the cross so the Holy Spirit could live within us so that we can reconnect. Sometimes we're no different from that, where God moves close to us and, and in that time, what did Israel do? It, can create, it, it uh, uh, still sinned, still worshipped idols, and God is still trying to get close. And it might be that in here today, that some of us are living one foot in the world and the other foot in the kingdom. On a Sunday, we come into church and we enjoy the presence of the Lord. And at other times, we might not be doing the things that are of God. Or we not doing the things of God, but doing other things. We might be just like Israel was at that time, sinning. We're caught up in other things. But God is saying, look, we can't do that. You want to see the glory so manifest in this place in such a strong way that, look, people... Get ourselves right and let it get ourselves ready so that when the Holy Spirit moves in a new, in a dynamic way, as we see moving in parts of, of the USA or Canada or in, perhaps in other parts of England and certainly in East Africa where we've seen it, myself, Vincent, or certainly in India where Pastor Alan and Clara, let me tell you, it moves in a unique and profound way because they don't live by the mindset and the distractions of, of, this, of what we have here. They've seen the poverty. They've seen the struggle. They've seen the, the, the only source of their, their uh, life is God himself. The only one that can provide for them is God himself. And then God begins to move in a unique and a profound way in their life. So it's, it's important that we, as Christians, are, have that character that is built so that we can do as God wants us to do. We need to have that character that actually is closer to, to God so that we begin to experience the glory of God not only four hours, as I've said before, or 14 minutes, 
but we experience the glory of God and the presence of God in our own personal walk, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our church, in wherever we go on mission, in whatever we do as a church together to reach out to Salford. So we see the, the, the temple being filled with God's glory. And eventually what happens is, uh, in Ezekiel, in his first vision, is this. And I want to finish on this. Is that the, 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 the vision portrays of such sin that takes place, that God can no longer live with man. He can't. Because light and darkness cannot, cannot mix in that way. So what happens is, as we go to Ezekiel 8, chapter 8, Verse 4, it says this, And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there like the vision that I saw in the plain. And then in Ezekiel, same chapter, verse 6 says, six says it, it says this, Furthermore, he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing? The great abominations that the house of Israel commits here to make me go far away from my sanctuary. Now turn again, you will see greater abominations. So embroiled in idolatry, embroiled in sin, embroiled in a place where, you know, God is saying, look, I can't live amongst my people anymore in this vision. And so what God does, he says this in, in, in chapter 9, verse 3. Now the glory of God of Israel had gone up from the cherub where it had been to the threshold of the temple, and he called to the, uh, the man clothed with linen, who had the writer's uh, ink horn at his side. So it had moved. And in 10, verse 18, chapter 10, verse 18, it says this, Then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim. And the cherubim lifted their wings and mounted up from the earth in my sight. When they went out, the wheels were beside them, and they stood at the door of the east gate, and the Lord's house, and the glory of the Lord, uh, the glory of God of Israel was above them, was above. So it started moving out of the temple in this vision because of the intensity of sin of man. And then eventually what happens is the glory of the Lord eventually departs. In chapter 11, verse 22, so the cherubim lifted up their wings with the wheels beside them, and the glory of Israel, the glory of God of Israel was high above them, and the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountains, which is on the east side of the city. So it departed from the temple, went through the east gate and onto the mountainside, and departed and left. From the time of Malachi to the time of Jesus Christ is 450 years B.C. To zero B.C., 450 years. And in that time, there's no recorded movement of, of the Holy Spirit. Because of the intensity of you know, how man can focus on themselves and get embroiled in the things of themselves. But then Jesus Christ comes. And we see what happens from Jesus Christ coming and the, the Acts 2 experience and the Acts 4 into next week. But the point is this. 
And I'm going to sum it up in this way. One, when God speaks, things got to happen. Two, our characters have to be transformed into the way that he wants, just like in Moses, just as an example. Our characters have to be transformed. And we have to run the race in, in a such a way that God takes out, as he did with Moses, the Egypt out of him, and put his own character into, into to Moses. He has to address our own characters here. My character, I have to renew. Your character has to be renewed so that he can then put into us in, a, in, a, in an intense way of what he wants us to be and what he causes us to then do as a result of the calling and the purpose upon our lives. We cannot continue to live, three, in the world where we are part foot in the world and part foot in the kingdom. So we then maybe, you know, I don't know, in the Old Testament it was worshipping idols or or causing things to happen. It could be in the modern time here today, what is it that we watch at night on TV? What is it that I say to my wife on a, a daily basis? I may come into church looking all nice and happy, but what's happening behind closed doors? Is that relationship right between my, my wife and myself? How am I treating my children? Do they have the respect of a father? that they deserve, and do they respect their father and their mother in the way they should? Are we at home spending time in worshipping, praising God? Are we spending time in the Word? Are my dreams, are my thoughts, godly thoughts? Am I thinking about God and what His plans and purposes are in my workplace, in my home life, in my church life? Am I looking for the next adventure for God and what He wants me to do? See, one thing I know is this. One thing I do know is that there is nothing of greater satisfaction than serving God. In whatever way we do it, there is no greater satisfaction. And I've only learned that over the last nine, ten years. Only over the last nine, ten years. Having a, been a, a student at university and becoming a Christian, but it actually I've learned what satisfaction it actually brings. And you know why we have to, uh, you know why? It's this, is that I've got to stop looking at what is happening around me in terms of somebody overstepping the mark and doing much better things. Oh, that person at worship is fantastic. Oh, that person's doing mission work, or that person is a, a better speaker than I am, is more eloquent than I am. Or, I can't do it because what I've got to stop doing, and we all have to stop doing, is, is looking at what's to the left or to the right of me. And all I need to do is focus my eyes on Jesus Christ and run the race for him. And run the race for him. Because I tell you something, when you begin to get hold of who Christ is, and you get hold of running the race for him, then the satisfaction of running the race for him gives you such joy and such energy and such love that you're just not concerned about the things that happen around you and whether somebody's running faster than you or is, is running that race quicker than you. Because it's like a racing horse. You've got the blinkers on and all you're looking at is the finish line. And your brother and your sister may be running very fast and overtake you, but it doesn't matter. Because we're all in it for the same cause. 
which is the expansion of the kingdom of God and fulfilling the great commission that Christ has called us to do. That's what it's about. And it's an exciting journey. So let's stand just for a couple of minutes. Uh, and before I invite Simone on, but I want you to stand. And I want you to take a moment. And the worship team, I want you to come up as well, because Simone's going to come on afterwards. And I want you to take a moment just to think about your own life. And what is it that God has called you for? What is the race that he wants you and I to run? Every single one, and there is no excuse for any person in this room to say that there is no place in the kingdom of God for me. Every single one of us has a place for God and a purpose for God uh, in every way that he chooses. So I want you to stop thinking with this, that in this world that we're so focused on knowledge of good and evil or knowledge, in the, certainly in the place where I work is driven by Oxbridge this and Oxbridge that and, and, and I had to remove all that out of my own mindset and say, Lord, I can't be doing that anymore. What I want to do is I want to be able to serve you and I want to focus on your spirit, connecting with my spirit and remaining connected so I can do the, the things that you've called me to do. So I can have a fulfilled life that when I am taken up into the glory, in those final moments, I can look back and say, Lord, I fulfilled. Look at that person. Lord, they were touched because of you and your Holy Spirit into their lives. And they became born again. They may have touched the nation. They may have touched an area. Lord, Lord, Wow, that happened because of what you called me to do? What gives the greatest pleasure in your life to you? Is it the pleasure of surrounding yourself with materialism? Yes, there are things we need, so don't discount totally what I'm saying. We have to pay bills and so on. But is the greatest thing that brings us close to God the fact that I'm running the race for him and that I'm going to run the race hard and fast with my blinkers on, and that each one of us will be called to do what he calls us to do, that I do not need to be afraid of those that are running around me, because I am uniquely created in a unique way, and serviced by him, and he's equipped me to do what he wants me to do. I am not going to fail in any way in the kingdom of heaven. I am not going to fail or fall short of the calling that is upon my life because of some circumstantial issue. God comes above all those things. God breaks every barrier that is there. What do we need to do? We need to be obedient. We need to be like Moses. We need to be like Abraham. But remember, folks, they're no longer here. So the task for such a time as this is left to us. Let's worship for a moment and just come before Lord and say, Father, we thank you for your word. It is precious. We thank you that, Father, as you prepare us, that, Father, as we move into our day's work, Monday or Tuesday, or as we adventure, Father, into our family lives, that, Father, we take you completely and wholly with us. That, Father, we will see the days of the cloud coming down. That, Father, we will see the days of fire, but there's no burning. Father, we'll see smoke coming, but there's no smell of smoke. Father, we'll see the time when there is the goodness, the mercy, and the compassion of you on each one of our lives. That, Father, we get hold of your Holy Spirit. 
Father, we get hold of your glory and who you are in our life. Say that, Father, we become so transformed, so transformed that, Father, we adventure in a way that is so amazing. You are such an amazing God. You're a God that breaks through. And Father, I thank you for every individual here that, Father, no longer will the mind hold them back. But, Father, the Spirit will connect with the Spirit. And that, Father, will rise up and adventure for you. We get hold of your calling upon our lives. Hallelujah. Thank you.